You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Fabulous Real Life family. Excited to see you guys. My name is Josh Gray. I get the privilege of being the lead servant here at Real Life on the Palouse. I am the son of uh, Alan Randy Gray, who is the, and I am the grandson of Albert Rodney Gray. And then my great-grandpa, I don't know his name, but he lived in Castine, Maine. And I'm sure you're interested in my lineage, because that's very important, right, to all of us as Christians, the lineage matters. And so I'm so excited about uh, what God is doing for us. We have our baptismal warmed up and ready to go. We have another person getting baptized after the second service today. I think that's five since Christmas. And so things are happening. People are moving uh, and wanting to follow this great uh, Jesus and uh, I'm so excited to be sharing more about with you uh, through our series through Matthew. So it's interesting as we uh, think about uh, this series and what we're going to be doing is, is buckle up and, and be relaxed. We're going to spend however long it takes. We're going to, I mean, we, we might be coming out here next year at this time and be like, and we're going to continue on in our series of Matthew a year from now. And because there is no timetable for when we have to be done um, and it's a, great, it's a great relief as I think about the vision and mission of our church. The vision of our church is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And we make biblical disciples in relational environments. And we do that because we're directed and guided to do that by the text, by the gospel that we're going to be spending time in. And so um, as we uh, continue to move forward this year, here's something that I've been uh, thinking about and wondering for you guys as well if this is something you would consider This year, do you desire to be mastered by the ways and the words of Jesus Christ? Do you desire to be mastered by the ways and words of Jesus Christ this year? Do you desire to have the text change your life and the way that you see the world? In your notes, there's a quote at the top of it. What I hope you maybe you might think of making this quote or this saying part of your life this year, maybe forever. Lord, deliver me from the laziness that stops at half truth. Lord, deliver me from the laziness that stops at half truth and the cowardice that shrinks from new truth and the arrogance that knows all truth. Be teachable, be intentional, be open for what God would have for you. How many people have read the gospel of Matthew before in here? Oh, why would I even spend any time on this thing? You guys have already read it, you already know it, right? There is so much to unfold that I'm going to be learning along the journey and then you guys will learn on the journey some of the stuff you already know, some of the stuff is going to be, wow, that's almost like, feels like a new truth to me, something I never got out of it. So when we think about the word gospel, what does gospel mean? What is the gospel? And many of you have been taught or have an idea of what we, uh, what we think the gospel is. And the actual word is a compound word. It's called euangelion. And it means you is good. And angelion is announcement. I've, it's a good announcement. I have a good announcement for you. We just had some good announcements. But that's not necessarily what you and I were taught that the gospel is. It's just a good announcement. And we think that the gospel is our word, but it's not really our word. It was, well, we, we adopted it. We took it. 
But gospel has been around. Good news has been around. And when we think about the gospel, hey, do you know the gospel? Preach them the gospel. Give them the gospel. Like there's these, uh, like kind of like, well, you know what that is, right? It's the, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, you will be with him uh, eternally in heaven and you won't go to hell. And that is certainly a pretty cool part of the gospel. But it is just part of the gospel. And if you limit your thinking of what the gospel is just to a get out of hell free card, that is not the intent when you read the text. This is good news that actually does something It does something actively in you and in your heart today and now. And yes, it is great news about not uh, being separated from Jesus for eternity. But it's asking more of us. And so this word has been around a little bit. I want to read to you a a piece of a gospel that came out about 9 BC. So this is before our Lord was here on this earth with us. And here's what it says. It says, uh, whereas the providence that ordains our whole life has established with zeal and distinction that which is most perfect in our life by bringing Augustus, Julius Caesar, bringing a Caesar to us. This is a proclamation of a gospel of good news. Who, who this God, apparently she, who she filled with virtue as a benefaction to all humanity. Sending to us and to those after us a savior. They're not talking about Jesus. A savior who put an end to the war and brought order to all things. This is 9 B.C. The birth of a God was the beginning of good tidings to the world and through him. The gospel. Well, that's not the gospel we're into. That's a different gospel. Do you know, uh, and I'm going to quote from uh, Jeremy Meyer here. Uh, it says, every time a new Roman Caesar came into power, he would have gospel accounts written and distributed about himself throughout the empire. The Caesar gospels included stories of how the new Caesar was born, how he grew up, and some super, superhuman miracles that he performed during his life. The Caesar gospels usually included promises about the new Caesar, that he was the son of God. who would bring peace to the entire world. And as a result, every Roman citizen must proclaim that Caesar is the Lord. These, uh, the four gospels that we're making a claim to, that Jesus Christ was Lord and Caesar was not, could that possibly have been a rift between the Roman ruled area that, our, that this gospel's time was written in? Like, wait a minute, you're coming up with some new, a new announcement, a new piece of news, and you're claiming that something, somebody else other than, when I do this, this is Rome, power. Caesar, the right hand. That, and, how did, and how did Rome bring Pax Romanus? How did they bring power? How did they bring peace? Pax Romanus means peace, Roman peace. We'll beat the 
stuffing out of you till you have peace. And it seems like the gospel that we're reading is different, isn't it? And so when you think about the gospel and the idea that that while the birth and life and ministry of Jesus truly was filled with real miracles and real teachings, they didn't have to make it up like they did about Caesar. The gospel shows us something. It shows believers how to live before a watching world so that the greatest dreams of humanity come to fruition in our very midst. That there is real order that is brought from chaos. So for us, the gospel is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not just four books that are amazing in our Bible. It's an invitation to a new way of living. And maybe some of us need that new invitation this year. It's a, it's a heart surgery. But not, kind, not the kind that I had. But like an eternal heart surgery to repair the brokenness in a person, to come and make them whole again for those that want to accept it. And I knew, it's interesting, I knew uh, I was here on September 3rd, I was recovering from my heart procedure, and Ty Brooks was preaching that weekend, and he uh, was preaching on Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and he recited, remember when he recited the entire Sermon on the Mount from memory? You were just like, woo! He's into the text. And I said, as I came in, and I knew he was talking about this, and I was still recovering, I came in, I said, Josh, pretend like you're brand new. Pretend like you know very, very little about this Jesus. And what would the questions you would have after this sermon? And you should have seen my notes. I just, like, I had, I had scribbles all over my notes. I'm up here taking notes, being a good student. You know when I'm not teaching, I'm trying to be a good student? Like, well, I come to our services when I'm not preaching, and I sit right up here and I take notes. I fill in connection cards. I filled in one last week. One of our staff members prayed for me. Like, I am an active participant in our body, not just a pastor here. I'm up there and I'm taking notes, and I'm feverishly taking notes, and I'm like, I got like 13 or 14 questions that need to be answered from chapter 5 of Matthew. Like, I'm like, I was feeling, I'm like, man, we got to answer these questions. What about divorce? What about adultery? What about all these? What about turning, like, there's all of these things that just, it just, I was like, whoa, there's so much here. And so I went back to the sermon club. I might have talked to Adam first, and I was like, we got to do, like, a series on, like, the Sermon on the Mount or something. Like, we have to. Like, we just created a bunch of questions that would be cruel not to go back and answer those things. And so uh, as the sermon club does, they continue to improve this idea. And they're like, well, we should just, like, maybe we just do, like, the Gospel of Matthew. Like, well, for how long? Because, you know, as a pastor, you're always like, trying to figure out, like, okay, Lord, what do you want us to talk about? And we've got to do it. You can't do more than a four-week sermon series because people will get bored with it. And then you've got to have cool videos and graphics. And, hey, if you get bored with the Word of God, that's on you. Because this thing is, it is exciting. It is wild. And you're going to see how wild it is today in a powerful genealogy. You're going to be like, whoo! And so we're just going to hang out. We're going to spend our time. We're going to go through it and, uh, and take our sweet time. We'll jump out for a, a, a quick message here on like for Easter, and we'll jump out for maybe Mother's Day message or those things. But welcome to the foreseeable future until the Lord tells us we're done with Matthew. Amen? We'll never be done with Matthew, by the way.
He'll always be working on our hearts. So let's talk about this. Uh, this, this gospel of Matthew is attributed, and uh, most scholars would say that the person who wrote it was Matthew. So who was Matthew? This is the gospel according to Matthew. This is what he observed. There's a huge amount of Mark influences in here. Mark was the first gospel that uh, was recorded. And there's a huge amount of Mark influence in here. But Matthew continues to go on. And his gospel's different. Uh, he does a lineage that we'll talk about today. And it's different than the one that Luke does. And so Matthew is writing to a certain specific audience, uh, which is going to be really cool for all of us. And he's writing to an audience and he's trying to tell them lots of things. So who was Matthew? How many people have watched The Chosen or some parts of it? Yeah, there you go. So Matthew is a publican, as you know this. He's a publican, right? Well, a publican is what they called a tax collector. And so somehow Matthew, a Jewish boy, decides that this, this God stuff and the things that he's doing is he's going to go work for the evil empire. And the way that a tax collector uh, takes care of things is, is there's taxes that he has to give to Rome. You bid on it. You would bid on it. You're like, hey, uh, you know, I, I think I, we can do this many. Rome says this. You're kind of bidding on this, and it becomes your occupation. You don't make any salary from Rome. They're not giving you any money. They're giving you a job to go collect taxes from people. And they believe that he was probably in the area of Capernaum, and so he would be taxing people like, I don't know, fishermen. He would be taxing people and he would not be looked upon with great favor because the people in his time felt very oppressed by Rome. And so they would look at him and maybe even use a word like traitor. That you would go work for the evil empire and you would take money from us so they could go build their kingdom and you would take extra so you could build your own kingdom. So we always think about like, oh, the apostles, this happy group of people. Hey, buddy, how you doing? We're, yep, we're following Jesus. Like the zealots in that group wanted to knife him. They wanted to get him. This guy is not well-liked or well-received by the Jews. So guess who he writes his gospel to specifically? It's specifically written and has lots of Jewish influence into it, into these Jews. And he's saying phrases like the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God because you would never say God as a good Jew. You wouldn't even say the name. And so he's writing specifically to these people. And I wonder what happened in his life when Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. I wonder what happened before that. I wonder what his story is of why he drifted away from the faith, and went into tax collecting. Sneaking around your own town, hoping you don't get killed. I bet you there's a lot of a murder of tax collectors that they accidentally died. And so when you think about Matthew, what is his story? And this is the gospel according to Matthew. They think it was written uh, between 60 and 85 A.D., I don't know, I wasn't there. But they think it was written after, you mar- after Mark's gospel. And just so you know, these are first-person accounts of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. These are first-person accounts of Jesus and what he did. It's written to a Jewish audience, the chosen people, that this is the one we've been waiting for. So let's, let's dive in. 
Let's take a gander at the first part that you always study. Do you guys remember when you first became Christians and they told you to read the Bible? How many people, like you became a Christian, they're like, hey, you should read the Bible. You're like, okay. That's what I did. How many people remember that? How many people have read it all the way through? Completely, like most Christians have not. Oh, look, we got a good number in here that have read it all the way through. Good for you guys. So they told me, hey, get a Bible and start reading it. So I went and got a King James Bible. That's what was given to me. had my name on it, embossed in gold. It was really cool. Bought one. And I went to get that, and I started at the beginning, because it's the beginning. And I started reading through Genesis, and I'm cruising along, like, cool, creation, all those things. And then I got into some sort of genealogy thing, and I was like, begot, 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 begot. And I kind of got lost and gave up. And I'm like, you know what I'll do? I'm a Christian, and we follow Jesus, and so I'm going to do the New Testament thing. I'll start in the New Testament. And so I whipped open the Bible to the New Testament, and guess where I was? Matthew's the first book listed, not the first book written, but obviously that's where you would start. It's the beginning of that. And as you're going to see, it was pretty exciting when you don't understand the context or why they would say these things about these people and who their names are. So I'm going to, and I think most pastors like to skip and skip this part because you're going to fumble through all these names and read poorly in front of your closest 600 friends, which I plan on doing. Um, but we'll jump in and out here, and we're going to find out, why would Matthew start with a genealogy? Why does that matter? How many people here care about genealogy? How many people introduce yourself as the son or daughter of blah, 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 blah before that? You know, there seems like, you know, I, I don't think I know very many people that care that much about genealogy, like to where it's like the first thing you'd want to talk to somebody about. But uh, Ancestry.com has over a billion dollars in revenue. It has over 3 million subscribers. People care about their history. You talk about like horse racing, you're like, and this horse is from the lineage of Seattle Slough or Secretariat or whatever it is or in the uh, dog world of dog grooming and not dog grooming, but dog uh, breeding, right? They're like, well, this is from a grand champion and the line of this and the line of this. So lineage has mattered to us, but it mattered a great, great deal to these people. It wasn't like a, this is part of who we are. And so obviously you would just list, how many people are like, I'm related to somebody famous and you're always looking for the famous person that you're related to. Like we're all related to somebody famous. You know, his name is uh, God. He created us. But when you think about like who you're related to, who would you put in your lineage? Who would you want everybody to know about? And let's take a look here. Matthew chapter 1, this is the genealogy. Genealogy is where they get the word beginning. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of Jesus, the Messiah. Like, so we could just stop right there. That's just like kicking down the doors, coming in. He is declaring Jesus as Messiah. The one we've been waiting for. Actually, to continue on, he is, he is the son of David. And guess what every good Jew would know? They would know about the Davidic covenant that we call it. Oh, he's that one? Hmm. Yeah, he's the son of Abraham. Father Abraham? Are you, talking to, are you trying to say that he's the one? that we were, we, We've been waiting 2,000 years. He's the one? He comes out with power pack statements in verse one, making a profound statement 
of who Jesus is. And then he goes on and he says, you know, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Why are you talking about a woman? We don't do that in the first century, first century lineages and stuff. We're not going to talk about ladies. We talk about Tamar. They know who Tamar is. They know who Tamar is from Genesis 38. If you don't know who Tamar is, you should know. Tamar was, uh, was uh, betrothed to, to one of Judah's sons, and Judah did her wrong. The son died. He was evil in the eyes of the Lord, it says. This first son, and then the next son, all those things. And so he, she was kind of outcast. She had to pretend to look like and be a prostitute. And this great guy, as you know, remember in your lineage of your parents where you're talking about how your dad went and hang out with prostitutes? It's like, so for some reason, it's okay for this guy to be like, oh, yeah. Well, I didn't recognize her. I didn't know she was my son's first wife, and I was just at the thing saying hi to the prostitutes like can we stop right there and be like this is jerry springer stuff right here like whoa so we have tamar and this is the one of uh the family of god who would bring about redemption of the world because tamar ended up finally being redeemed but she had to go through a lot of junk to be redeemed and taken care of and it shows that God works through messy human situations, including sexual relationships, to bring about his will. All right, let's keep on. Perez, the father of uh, uh, Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. What are you doing? Matthew, why are you talking about another lady and why did you bring up a real prostitute this time? What is going on in this lineage? She's she's a Canaanite. She's not even like part of the bloodline. So this is a Canaanite uh, woman living in Jericho. Rahab's a prostitute. If you know the story, you can go to Joshua chapter 2. If you don't know the story, go to Joshua tap- chapter 2 and read this. And so she hides these spies and they, uh, they, uh, from, from what was going on in uh, Jericho. And they ended up uh, preserving her life and her family's life uh, because of her faithfulness to that. All right. So we got, so far, we got... A lady pretending to be a prostitute, a dude who was obviously visiting a prostitute, a real prostitute, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Okay, now we're naming another lady here. Like, you know how rare that is? Like, look at Luke's. Look at Luke's lineage. How many ladies are mentioned in there? Like, when we think about this, like, he's saying some things to these people. And then he goes on, he says, and Jesse, the father of of King David, King David, okay, we're back on track, and David was the father of uh, Solomon, yes, 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 Solomon's fantastic, whose mother had been, why you got to bring up Uriah's wife? Wait a minute, so now we have like the two prostitutes, and now we got the, our, my beloved king, the one who's after God's own heart, who killed Uriah, the Hittite, and married 
ended up marrying Bathsheba. They lost their first child, and then their second child was, was Solomon, which I was cool with that. But then you got to bring up some more dirty laundry. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of uh, Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa, and Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. I like saying that. Because uh, I can say it. Uh, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerom. Jerom, the father of uh, Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of uh, Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amen. Take a look at Manasseh. What a great guy to have in your lineage. Uh, Chronicles, Second Chronicles, somewhere in there. You can find him. Uh, Amen, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers uh, at the time of the exile of Babylon. After the exile of Babylon, uh, Jeconiah was the father of Shetel. Shetel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of uh, Ebihud. Ebihud, the father of uh, Elikim. Elikim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the, in case you forgot, Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations uh, uh, in all from Abraham to David and 14 from David to the exile of Babylon and 14 from the exile uh, to uh, the Messiah. That's a fun, fun study to do if you want to start looking at numbers and 14 and 14 and 14 and what did those mean. That's an exciting thing to do. That's not a detail that's in here for, for no specific reason. He's like, you know, I think I'm going to add something else in here. So, wow, I got four minutes left. How did it take me so long to get here? Okay, what are we supposed to learn from this? What is the gospel? What are some takeaways that we can take away from this first introduction in the lineage of our Savior? How about this? God deals with just actual messed up people. And he proves that he deals through actual messed up people by showing us this lineage. He doesn't just list all the best. There's some good ones in there too. But he goes through and he lists some pretty Jerry Springer messed up ugly stuff. Amen? So he doesn't just deal with uh, ideal people that have it all figured out. He deals with actual people. And guess what you and I are? Actual people. Like, so you're saying that, like, this Jesus is for me too? He's not just for all the perfect people? Is he reminding the Jews of this lineage? They're like, oh, that was, that was a rough spot there for us. Oh, you know, Canaanite woman. Oh, like, they would have all of these. Like, let's not say that part. Let's just keep with the strong, the good stuff. But God lays it bare because he wants people to know who he's after. God uses the messy people to accomplish his purposes. You guys are messy. Are you? I got some mess in my past. I got some mess in my lineage. I've got some future mess I don't even know about yet. But I'm still willing to be used by God for his kingdom and for his purposes. And I wonder where you are in that. Are you willing to be used by God? Or do you make up excuses that you're not enough, blah, 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 blah. 
because all those excuses are wiped away right here. He's going to use the people who are coming to him, who are willing to follow him, who choose to follow him. And he chooses you. Are you choosing him? We also learn that God runs on his own timetable. Yeah, God's coming back, right? How many people know, like right now, it's a great time to talk about it. It's like, dude, there's this thing that's going on, and there's this thing that's going on, and there's this thing. It is so close. He is like almost here. Right? That's, I mean, people may say that. I'm just quoting what I hear other people say. Like, it's, it's almost time. Like, it's so close. And I wonder how many generations thought that. Like, God's timetable was like 2,000 years. That's a lot of people from us. So God runs on his own timetable. Our job, while we're here, is to do what he asked us to do. And he's asked me to be a disciple maker, whether I'm a pastor or not. He's asked me to show the fruits of the Spirit. He's asked me to study his word and to fall in love with it and learn more about it. He's asked me to fight off the distractions that come at me every day. How about he uses moral outcasts? Right here, this guy. Maybe some of you guys can point to yourself. He uses people that make mistakes, that have blown it. How about the, we could learn that his lineage was ethnic, ethnic, ethnically, yeah, that's a good word, ethnically diverse. So if you're this ethnicity, you're in. If you're this ethnicity, you're in. It's not just, you know, the 94% of white Americans that live here in, you know, beautiful Moscow, Idaho, or whatever our numbers are. Like, it's for all people. I guess this is what I want you to take away from this first part before we go to communion here. If you think you're out or you know of people that you think are out, they can be in to the kingdom of God. This gospel is inclusive of them. This is a gospel that is for those people. You know who those people are, don't you? Who are those people? The ones that don't fit. Ones that don't know how to do the prayer the right way, and they don't dress the right way, and they don't do those things, and they have... They look differently than us and they act differently than us and they talk and they may cuss and they may do all those things. Like, no, this is the gospel for them. This is good news. This is a good announcement that the Gentiles and sinners and prostitutes and unclean and unworthy outcasts, Matthew himself and Mark was quoted as like, uh, when he went to go eat with this, they're like, Jesus goes and he eats with sinners and tax collectors. Who is this that would do that? Jesus wants to eat with you. He wants to eat with you. I qualify in one of those areas. Not begin to tick, uh, be a tax collector yet. But he wants to eat with you. He wants to sit down at a table and do life with you. He's present in all of our ugliness. We are who God wants to redeem. So much, though, that he sent his very own son 
Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the promised Messiah down to earth to show us how we should live. And then he died here on this earth and he rose again and he's seated at the right hand of our father. He's coming back and we get to partner with him. Will you? What will your partnership look like with Jesus this year? We're making room for a king, right? Like in our head. But we've got to continue to make room for a king in our heart. How will you be part of the mission and vision of what God has for his people this year? Who is it? Maybe there's just one person that you're going to introduce to Jesus this year. And I'm not talking about like taking them down Romans Road or like beating them with the Bible. I'm talking about letting them see how you live so well and that you follow Jesus so well that they have, they're curious and they have questions. And that you would have the ability to just be like, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out, but I got some good news, some pretty good news I can tell you about. You know, if you don't feel like you're in or that you couldn't be in it, the walls would fall down to this church if I walked in there. You are not that great of a sinner. Manasseh, take a look at him. You and I get to choose. Let's reach the world and introduce them to Jesus this year. We're going to spend time studying this text. We're going to provide resources for you. We're going to take our sweet time going through this and unfolding it the best that we can. But there is so much to learn from this good news. Amen? All right. Let's go to communion here. Uh, Go ahead, Ron. If if you need communion, uh, if you're new with us, we are so glad that you're here. We take communion every week as a church. We come back to the table to remember exactly what Jesus did and how he did it and why he did it. And so we do it here at church. If you want to take some with you because you're going to take communion at home too, you can do that. But we come to the table. So if you need a communion cup, you can raise your hand and one of our guys will get it, Ron or, or us. One of our guys will get you. Does everybody have communion that needs it? Good job. Good, we can remind people they can just grab it when they come in. Let's pray real quick. Father God, I just ask that you just have your hand upon us, that you would give us great wisdom, that we would choose to be chosen by you. We would accept that calling. We'd accept what it looks like to understand more about you this year. And so we come to the table. We come to the table with an admission that you are the Messiah, with an admission that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we come proclaiming what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, and this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember who he was. In the same way, after supper, taking the cup, uh, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it and remember me. For when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's proclaim his death. Father, I thank you for this time as we get ready to close in worship. I thank you for uh, somebody's decision to get uh, baptized after the next service, Lord. If you're putting it on people's hearts in here that today is their day, now is their time, Lord. Uh, Father God, we would love to just continue to move in that direction. We would love to baptize people in the name of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. 
So I ask your Holy Spirit would just come upon the people here as we worship, as we think about this, as we anticipate what it looks like to dive into your text and to take our time and to just soak it up, to be mastered by by you, Lord. To learn the truths that you would have for us, Father God. And to know that you do things with great intentionality. Thank you for being intentional with us, Lord. We ask for your hand upon us as we go. In Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.